You're listening to the Neighbors and Nations podcast. Welcome to another edition of Neighbors and Nations, a podcast designed to stir within our listeners a heart for both local and global missions. And today we are pleased to have with us Anna Kohler, and she will be really focused in this episode on helping us with the neighbor side of God's heart for people. So welcome, Anna, to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm really glad you're here. I know Brandon is your husband and he couldn't be here, of course, but uh, I'm so excited that you could share with us more about your time working with what you shared earlier was good in the hood. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. So kind of an inner city ministry. Is that correct? Yep. And that was in Minneapolis, right? Yes. And it's not nationwide, you said, just in that one city? Yes. It's just in the Twin Cities area. Okay, so we're going to talk a good bit about that, but first, before we do, uh, just a little, maybe brief uh, bio of Anna Kohler. Tell us who you are and maybe a little bit about yourself. Sure. I grew up in Des Moines, Iowa, and went to Grace Church my whole life, and um, decided to move to Minneapolis to go to Bethel University when I graduated from high school, and I met Brandon when I was at Bethel and he, neither of us really had a heart for ministry at the time. Um, I was in school to be a nurse and he was in school to be an architectural drafter an estimator. Um, So we got married and I actually started attending North Central University in downtown Minneapolis after we got married. Uh, changed my major to elementary education and wanted to be an inner city teacher. And so did Brandon stay with architecture? He did for a while. And God really got a hold of his heart one day at work. I had been, we lived in a suburb, a northern suburb of St. Paul where his family lived. And I was commuting an hour to school every morning. And trying to convince him that we needed to move closer to North Central. So North Central was in downtown Minneapolis. And he was like, no, I'll never, ever move to this city. I don't want anything to do with the city. There's nothing good there. Man, when you so, say the never word, you're in for a surprise every time. I know, I know. <laughs> and so I was um, in a summer class at the time, and I asked my two, the two other girls who were in the class with me, I said, can you please pray? Pray for my husband that God would change his heart. I said, I just feel like this is what we need to be doing, moving to the city and not, not necessarily doing ministry, but just living there. And he was at work one day and he, God had started working in his heart and he stayed after work usually most days after everyone else left to read his Bible and pray. And it was a quiet place that he could be with God. And um, he felt the Holy Spirit move in his heart, move to the city. And so he came home and he said, let's move. And we had a small apartment in White Bear Lake. And it wasn't a big deal to find a subletter. And we moved to campus at North Central in 2009. So did your jaw drop to the floor that day? (laughs) Yes. I've never been so surprised (laughs) because I'm pretty sure the day before he said, no, never. I don't ever want to move to the city. 
I need to get you three uh, ladies praying for other stuff. That was pretty uh, effective. Yeah. And I know that, and I tell people like, that's not typical that you marry somebody who doesn't have the same vision as you and God changes them dramatically. But God really did a miracle in our lives and in our marriage. And um, we're just so grateful and thankful for that, that he works like that. And we just, we don't understand how he works sometimes, but we're just so thankful. Well, I sure appreciate Brandon's sensitivity to God's spirit and then just his uh, comfort, or I guess I should say his reliance on that. He could share that with you and that he could just tell you what he sensed. And so you guys moved to the city and you finished school, I guess. Yes. And yep. did you then get a job teaching in the inner city? Um, I did not, actually. So I graduated in 2010. And before that, Brandon lost his job as an, um, an architectural, architectural estimator. And we were praying about what's next. What do we do next? And we, we wanted to get more involved in our community and in our neighborhood. Um, So I went online and I just searched urban ministry in Minneapolis and an organization came up called good in the hood. And we thought that was a super catchy name and there they did um, events just a couple blocks away from my school where we lived. So we said, let's, let's walk down there on a Saturday and see if we can help. So we signed up online and walked down and they were doing a community cookout on in, in a garage, in a driveway. And we jumped in and helped and, um, we loved it. They, we saw people we had never seen before and interacted with cultures we had never interacted with. And the founder, Sean Morrison, um, invited us out for dinner and said, do you want to be more involved? And we said, yes, we We had no idea what that meant at the time or where that would lead us, but we started volunteering and we formed a reading program with Good in the Hood called Books in the Hood. But you're still volunteering at this point. Yeah, we're still volunteering. And we wanted, since I had a um, background in education, we wanted to see, start a tutoring program in the community for um, underprivileged kids called, so we called it Books in the Hood. And we had probably that first year, I think we had 10 kids come to the program and we helped them with reading and homework and we played fun games and served them dinner. And a few of my friends from school came to volunteer with us and help us start the program, which was really great. And then um, I graduated in 2010 and found out I was pregnant like two weeks later. Okay. With our oldest daughter, Lydia. So I never did get a teaching job in the inner city. <laughs> I see. So you just started with uh, Good in the Hood as a volunteer then? Yes. Yeah, we did. And doing the reading? Mm-hmm. And in early 2011, Brandon um, started working for them full time. That's interesting that he was the one resistant to the inner city move. And now he's the director of the ministry. Yeah, <laughs> or I know. Worker. Yes. <laughs> So he was actually their first time, their first full-time employee. It was, it's a very grassroots organization. And at the time it was just Sean and his wife who were running the organization and they hired Brandon, um, full-time, but 
as a support raised missionary. And so you guys were involved in that for about a decade, right? Yes. Um, give us a rundown maybe on some of the things that you guys did there in the inner city of Minneapolis uh, with good in the hood. Sure. So um, in 2010, we decided to move into the missionary housing at, that good in the hood owned. And it was actually the location where they host the community cookouts. Um, so that's where we first volunteered and they had an apartment above the, a little storefront um, in inner city Minneapolis. So we moved in there and started doing ministry. There's a very busy corner right in Minneapolis right there. It's Franklin Avenue and Chicago Avenue known for gang violence, a lot of drug use. When we told our families that we were going to move there, they were very hesitant, especially because um, we wanted to start a family. This was before we had our children. Um, and they were really hesitant about us living there because of the history of the area. But we just felt God was really leading us there and moving us to that, to that location. So we started reaching out to the people who hang out on the corner and just we're so blessed by that. So really incarnational ministry, you moved in, kind of pitched your tent among them. We did. Yeah. We were, we were definitely in a minority there. Our color of our skin. (laughs) We were the only white people in the neighborhood. So how many different ethnicities were there? Because we're talking mainly neighbors in this edition, but yet you probably were around lots of nations, weren't you? Yes. Um, there are over 100 languages spoken within 10 miles of our of our house where we lived. Um, our, the biggest population was Somali people, um, Somali refugees. And we just became really good friends with our Somali neighbors. And they both, there were two two families that lived in one house next door to us. And they were big families with lots of children. And at the time um, we became friends with them, we had one child and we're pregnant with our twins. And uh, kids are a good way to reach into people's hearts. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the moms and I connected over our children and we were all three pregnant at the same time. So that was, that was a great in to them. And Brandon um, would go to the Somali community center, which was also their mosque and sit with the men and drink Shah, which is chai and learn Somalian and just talk. And that's, a lot of their community is just verbal and talking and trying to talk over each other. And so Brandon would go and just be and be there with them. And he really formed some great relationships with the Somali men. So when you talk about doing ministry there on that corner or, you know, in that part of the neighborhood, what are, what would that comprise? You mentioned the reading program, but what other things besides the cookout, even that, was it mainly just relationship building or were there actual, I'll use the word programs in a good way there that you guys kind of directed? It was a lot of relationship building. We, especially when we were doing ministry on the corner, um, Good in the Hood gave us a lot of freedom as urban missionaries to just reach out to our community and form relationships and form our own 
own programs too to reach out and show Christ to our neighbors. So when we would go to the corner, we usually partnered with a friend of ours named Annie, who is still doing ministry on that corner. She's actually in the middle of reading through the entire Bible, cover to cover, just straight through, sitting there on the corner reading. And she has seen some amazing fruit from doing that. This is her second or third time doing that during the summer. So we would usually partner with her and we would have cookouts and dinner and a lot of prayer with the neighbors. And um, we also, there were also quite a few programs that Brandon especially was involved in with Good in the Hood because we had small children. So I was home most of the time. Um, Good in the Hood has a food program, a food shelf that they provide food for 4,000 families a month. It's got, it's grown since we, wow, that's a lot. since we were there. <laughs> yes. And they provide food and they're still through COVID. They've still been very active providing those resources. And then we also started a program called good graffiti. Brandon is a graffiti artist and um, he wanted to teach kids how to do good graffiti, not illegal graffiti. So we built a graffiti wall in our driveway and um, kids could come paint. And then we did a Bible study with the kids on good graffiti night. And that was such a great program. We really saw some fruit from that too. I bet those would be some good pictures to see of that graffiti yes. wall at the time. Yeah. So were there other churches that would come in and help or were there connection points with local churches where perhaps um, you eventually maybe wanted to funnel people into some kind of discipling relationships or a local body or how did Good in the Hood work with local churches in the area or did they plant churches maybe in that area? Nope, they didn't plant churches, but we had a lot of great connections. There was a, a small church down the street from us called St. Paul's Church and they were really involved in urban ministry with Good in the Hood too. So Good in the Hood um, had a food shelf there. That's where we actually began our Books in the Hood program in their church basement. Um, and we've also, in or Good in the Hood also in recent years has partnered with Eagle Brook Church, which is the largest church in Minnesota. Um, and they have been an amazing partner for food drives and that good in the hood also has a shoe program. They collect gently used and new shoes and then sell them on a mobile shoe store. All of those proceeds go toward feeding people in the twin cities. So I think we've, I don't know, collected hundreds of thousands of pairs of shoes from e just Eagle Brook church alone. And these ideas, even just hearing you relay them, I bet many of our listeners are already maybe forming in their mind, like, hey, we could do something like that, or I we could help so. someone like that, or churches saying we could partner with inner city ministries. Yeah. Before we move on to maybe some application, um, I'd like to hear from you, maybe some of your largest adjustments you had to make, maybe in your first two years, or maybe we could even say between moving downtown and then your first child. Sure. Like, uh, that had to be a massive adjustment for you and Brandon. So, Maybe one good and one bad, or maybe just both hard. I don't sure. know. <laughs> Take your pick. <laughs> um, I think one of the largest adjustments, especially after our first daughter was born, was the 
opinions of our families and those close to us. Because we weren't overseas missionaries, it was hard for people to, for our families especially, to see their missionaries in Twin Cities, urban missionaries doing full-time ministry. And because of the reputation of where we lived, um, it was difficult for our family and those close to us to understand why we would want to be there. Why would we, we would want to raise our children in a neighborhood that's not safe to walk around in after dark. Um, it's sometimes not safe to walk around in during the day. Why we would want to raise our children in a neighborhood like that when we had the option not to. And we could, and we heard that a lot. Why would you, why do you have to live there? You can still do ministry and live somewhere safe. Um, so that was really difficult. Also, when we started raising support, that was um, a difficult thing for people to, to understand too, that we are urban missionaries, and, but we're not making an income working an outside job. This is our full-time job, and we need support to work this job. I, I had a hard time with that, especially because I don't like asking for help. <laughs> that took a lot of prayer on my part. And trust in God, he was going to provide for us through people who loved us, people who supported us and wanted to see our ministry thrive. I bet there are some people listening who are involved in something similar and they're raising support and yet they're, you know, nearby or local. What, uh, how long were you guys in that support raising mode? Did you ever reach full support or were you always raising support? We were in support raising mode for two years. Um, so we, we raised, I think we raised about 80% of our support and then good in the hood supplemented the other 20. Um, once they started being more, um, uh, financially stable, they were able to pay Brandon a full-time income, which was wonderful. But I feel like that support raising time of our lives, we just trusted God so much. There was just nothing else we could do. <laughs> we had to trust God to provide for us because that's just what he does. Mm -hmm. And so I love that our trust was so big in those years, those two years where we were asking other people to pay for our needs. I hear that among missionaries, regardless of their location, that uh, as hard as deputation is, most people looked on it as a very rewarding and faith building time. And that's exactly what you were saying right there. Mm -hmm. Speak to listeners for a moment who hear your heart for the inner city, who heard your story. Uh, they sense that could be a possibility for them. You know, what should they know about inner city ministry or what could they do? Maybe speak in broad terms first. Inner city ministry is hard. People who live in the inner city or who um, move to the inner city because of maybe drug addiction issues or um, financial situations. They don't trust people easily. And that was difficult for us when we first moved there to make, to form relationships with people because we didn't know them and they, we weren't trusted yet. So I think that that's a difficult part because they don't trust easily or 
they just think you're giving them a handout. And that's what they expect. White people give handouts. Mm. Um, so that was a that was difficult to overcome. But I think the longevity of forming those relationships was key. Living in the neighborhood and showing we're not afraid to live here. We love you and we're here to serve you. That was big for people. And it helped to build that trust to know we were there for the long haul. We weren't there to just as a short-term trip to say, oh, look at the good things that we did. But we were there to serve. And that was, that was big in forming that trust. So if I, if I hear you correctly, and just feel free to edit this, okay? I mean, on the fly here, that really, while it's good to maybe drive in and help, you're saying that, that the best kind of inner city minister is the person or the family or the people who want to actually go there and stay there. Yeah, I think it is. Although we had some wonderful missions groups throughout the years who would come in for a week and do okay. ministry. So they would do community cookouts and prayer walks. And um, we lived across the street from a park. So they would go across the park and play with kids and pray with people. And that was so great. But yeah, the, the people who are planted there, who other churches can maybe partner with, those are the people who are trusted. Yeah, I think that's some really good wisdom. We say this a lot. We say that presence pays off. Mm-hmm. And um, many times what we'll do with our um, partners, we call them our church partners, is we, we, we go to see them, even if it's a local, let's say, inner city, but we go to support them mm-hmm. because we know they're the ones who have the chips invested in the ministry. They're the ones who have the trust built up with the people. Right. But I think it's difficult because sometimes, and I don't think this is a sin or it's um, intentional deceit, but you know, you, you sometimes want to go and you want to experience ministry yourself. And so you kind of want to plug in for a week and do something, build a house, feed a crowd, teach a yeah. lesson. That's not, like you said, it's not wrong, but it's limited at least, isn't it? It is. It is limited. It, but we, we and our neighbors there were so blessed by those people. And I hope good. that they were blessed by by the people in the inner city too. I hope that that changed them in how they're, how they think and how they view people in the inner city. I know that like inner city people aren't dumb. They know that people look down on them a lot. They know that they aren't thought of highly in other places in the country or in their city. And so I hope that, those trips, those short-term trips changed people's hearts in their outlook on ministry too. Yeah. I think that's a good observation. I just spoke with a pastor on our, on a recent episode and he mentioned that that's one of the things he likes about short-term trips is they open your eyes to who's around mm-hmm. you. And that's what you're yes. saying is yeah. even if it's a trip downtown, take it. Mm-hmm. It has value, but don't forget that the folks who are living there incarnationally, they're the ones who really are, so to speak, paying the price to make sure the ministry happens. And that's kind of what yeah. you and Brandon were doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's just to kind of maybe um, uh, help our listeners get a, a geographical sense of where you were. I think if I'm not mistaken, we talked a couple of times before the interview, but you were relatively close to where the George Floyd incident took place. Is that correct? We were very close. Yeah. Um, about, 20 blocks away from there. So, but 
South Minneapolis is small. It's, and a lot of, it's affected everybody. And we no longer live in that location. We moved to St. Paul a couple of years ago, um, but we feel it. it. Our city is broken. So that's that's a little more information about where you were and people can kind of relate to that as far Mm -hmm. as like, okay, what was that environment like? And, you know, you were talking about the trust factor and I'm a novice at inner city ministry. Um, Trust me, I'm not trying to speak here as any kind of expert, but just in watching the various videos of that situation that have been released, what you said is so true. You can sense in his interaction with those police, he has an automatic distrust. Yes. And you can hear it in his voice and his tone. And, and I'm not commenting about any uh, action. I'm just saying it's what you said is so true. There's an automatic disposition of like, uh, this is not going to go well. Yeah. And that's very typical of Minneapolis. Um, I am very thankful for our police officers who give their lives to, to serve, but it's, that's, typical of people in Minneapolis to distrust the police. Um, We saw it a lot when we would be doing ministry on the corner and a police car would drive by, people would scatter whether they were doing something wrong or not. That was, that was just a a common practice not to trust the police because they don't have your good in mind. At least they think that's what's going on. And so their first reaction is to run and scatter. And you guys as uh, servants there, as ministers, you sense that first reaction sometimes too then. Like, we don't trust you. Why are you here? How long will you be here? (laughs) Yeah, we definitely sense that. Target in a little bit on something you said earlier. You talked about your kids um, or a great maybe platform to get to meet other moms. So maybe talk to some young moms that are listening who have a heart to get their kids exposed and maybe some um, to see other cultures. Yeah. Have you talked specifically to young moms with little kids? Wow. I think that was one of the biggest blessings of living in the inner city and doing ministry. There was involving our kids in it. It was just part of their lives when they were little that we are, we lived above us. Um, like a small church and it was just an empty room in the bottom. So we had a coffee gathering there uh, every Monday and Friday and they just knew Mondays and Fridays, we go downstairs and we serve coffee to people and we talk and have a, once in a while we'd have a Bible study if it came out organically. But um, yeah, I just want to encourage young moms to reach out, reach out to your neighbors. And maybe they're not a different culture than you, but if they have kids, it's such a great way to show the love of Jesus. Invite their kids over to play with yours. And Jesus doesn't want us to live in fear. And I was fearful to introduce our kids to maybe things that they shouldn't see or we didn't want to expose them to. But I feel like God placed a hedge of protection around us and around our kids, even though we lived in a dangerous area. But it was such a blessing to meet those other moms in the park. We lived across the street from a park, like I said earlier. So we were there every day playing and talking. And um, it's nice. I'm, I'm a little introverted sometimes, but we have a very, very extroverted firstborn who will talk to anybody, anybody, no matter who they are. And I think that that started because we invited everyone into our home. And whoever wanted to come could come. And so that was just part of her her life, her first six years of life. So 
just reach out to those people that you might be nervous about or maybe a little fearful of. God can open those doors in ways that we don't see. Mm -hmm. So I hear you saying hospitality matters in inner city ministry. And I think it matters in ministry in general, but I would say what I'm hearing you say is when when you just live right among them, you just got to have open doors almost all the time. We did. We had open doors a lot and we were pretty naive in the beginning. We had maybe our doors were a little too open, (laughs) but um, there's a story behind that you want to share a little. Yeah, sure. So when Lydia, our oldest was a baby, we met, we met a guy named Chris who came to our Bible study and he seemed very, um, knowledgeable about the Bible and was seemed on fire for God, but he was down and out. He was homeless. Um, and he was in recovery and we invited him to stay in our house for a while until he could get back on his feet. Um, it turns out he was not who he said he was. And we, we were, um, not in a safe situation having him in our home, but through that, he introduced us to one of our greatest friends. Our, um, our friend Ron was a brand new Christian and was also in recovery with Chris. But you could sense when you met Ron that he was a gentle and humble man who loved God above everything. And he has become one of our best friends. And still to this day, he and Brandon see each other often and he still works for good in the hood. He was hired um, maybe five years ago, six years ago, and is a full-time intern for good in the hood. He's wonderful. Well, that's a great story. Let me dig a little deeper into that just to kind of have some transparent moments when you realized, okay, this is not a safe situation. How did you and Brandon approach Chris and how did that go down? Um, well, Brandon asked him he, or told him that he needed to leave. I'm thankful that I'm, I'm married such a bold person. Uh, he's, he has such a quiet personality, but he's really bold. And I'm really Amen. thankful for that. Cause I'm a little timid sometimes. I don't want to hurt people's feelings. Um, but he asked him to leave and he didn't right away. He came and knocked on our door late at night for a while after, after, um, he left our home, but he, uh, we never like called the police or had, had anything like that happen. He kind of just left. And I'm not, I think he moved back to, with some family um, to Georgia or Arkansas or somewhere. Mm-hmm. But you discovered he wasn't who he said he was. And I guess yeah. Brandon just simply said, Hey, we know you're snowing us here. And yeah. Yeah. And yeah, just something. It was. It became an uncomfortable situation, especially mm-hmm. for me. And so he he told him, "My wife's uncomfortable. I think it's time for you to go." And <laughs> so, yeah. those are hard things to balance in ministry. But I, I think you bring up an interesting point that sometimes, and just comment on this if you want. We may get into some thin ice. Um, but you know, the word safety you mentioned several times. Yeah, safety is actually probably a, a misnomer yeah. because. Anything could happen at any time to anyone anywhere. Oh, yes, absolutely. But in our culture, our American culture, we love to idolize safety mm-hmm. and we love to pretend that we are safe. And in and, and some ways, it's a little bit of a myth. Well, I think what we actually do is we just maybe decrease our risk. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so I don't I don't know. I, I hear you talk about safety. You, you were probably safer there obeying God. 
I shouldn't yeah. say probably, but you were right where God wanted you to be. Yes. And, and we old- actually, we said that too. We Did said you? that many times to our family. We're exactly where God wants us. And he, he will do what he wants in our lives, whether that be we accidentally get shot or like caught in a crossfire one day, or whether he protects us in a way that we don't understand, which is exactly what he did. Our home, I felt, we both felt that our home had a hedge of protection around us all the time. And even seeing it now, um, we've driven, we go back to the old neighborhood often. Um, even seeing our old house now is really heartbreaking because it's not the same place that it was when we were there and doing ministry and living, living life there. There's graffiti all over the building and a bullet actually went through the window a couple weeks ago. Um, one of the upstairs windows where our children slept when we lived there. And those are um, things and thoughts that make you stop. But yeah. I love your heart for saying that the ultimate goal is obeying God, mm-hmm. not trying to protect yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, uh, that's really helpful. This may be a repetitive question. I hope not, but see if you want to, I'd like to kind of get your, your take on it. If, if someone wanted to get involved in ministry like you were doing, uh, what would you say would be first steps? I think prayer, a lot of prayer went into our decision and a lot of prayer um, was throughout those 10 years that we were with Good in the Hood and living in the inner city. That was, our prayer life was strong and it was deep. And even talking now, I'm like, ooh, when, I don't think my prayer life is as strong as it was then because we had to trust God so deeply. So a lot of prayer, I think, would go into a decision like that and find an organization that is doing good doing good work in, in your city. They're, they're everywhere. They might be small grassroots like good in the hood or, or big organizations like union gospel mission, which is one of the biggest inner city ministries here in the twin cities. Everybody here knows the name union gospel mission. And all you have to do is get on their website and there's a million different volunteer opportunities. Um, also if, if you go to a church, I'm sure that they have, those resources to reach out to people that maybe aren't in the same financial situation as you or um, don't have the same resources that could use some help. Those are three really good ways and ideas. Um, If someone wanted to talk with you more about your experiences or maybe uh, pick your brain about how to take some first steps, is there a way they could get a hold of you? Sure. And do you mind sharing that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you can email me at B-A-K-O-H-L-E-R, B-A-Kohler at gmail.com. Okay. And share some of the contact information, if you would, even the website for Good in the Hood, because some folks yeah. may want to just Google that and find out more about it. Sure. You can find Good in the Hood at goodinthehood.org, or you can email them at info at goodinthehood.org. Okay. And in your story, I know we've just scratched the surface, but... Um, I, I did watch you grow up a little bit uh, yeah. since you were at Grace Church. I worked there for a few years. And of course, we're both, uh, you're from Des Moines. I've moved here in 96. And so um, your family's uh, friends of ours. And uh, yep. when I heard that you and Brandon were there doing that and how it all occurred, I just thought to myself, I got to hear more of this story. And uh, I'm so thankful that you have a heart, yes, for 
neighbors, but I'm so thankful that many of those neighbors were really from the nations. Yeah. And in that way, God just opened your heart to both. Yeah. It was that, that's really cool that you mentioned that. Um, we were on vacation this weekend and my husband got a call from our old neighbor, Ibrahim, who one of our Somali neighbors. And he, he calls Brandon every once in a while to chat. I think cause Brandon is the only one who can understand his English. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we, that was such a blessing that he called and we were able to connect with him again. Cause we just love those, those relationships that we've formed and we're glad that they're still developing and we can see that still. Yeah. Those 10 years really left a mark on you. I can see it in your face, yeah. hear it in your voice that you have great memories of God's work in your life and through your life during we that do. decade. Yeah, we do. That's beautiful. And I think one of the greatest things that came out of our ministry was the community that we formed. So in, um, in our neighborhood, there were probably, I don't know, five other, five or six other people that we connected with that were doing ministry as well. And that was a rich time in our, in our ministry. There was the community that we formed. There were, um, a couple of single ladies and Ron, of course, and, um, some other people that just kind of trickled into our coffee gatherings that we knew loved Jesus. And so we would um, have worship nights together and we pray together. And we're still very close to most of those people. Um, unfortunately we lost one of, one of our great friends to suicide this year, um, who partnered with us in ministry. Um, but we're just so grateful for those years that we had together with them. You know, as I hear you talk, I, I want to encourage all of our listeners, regardless of where your impact may be, it may be um, in your own city, in the inner city, or maybe far away. But what I hear you saying is that when you're on the edge, God just shows up in ways that that are unpredictable. Like you're talking about your prayer life then and your support years, uh, support raising years, how you, you felt like, man, we just were so dependent. Like those are actually good traits. And sometimes as we get more comfortable, we, we do find ourselves more removed from the things that we probably should have more in our life of, like faith yeah. and prayer and trust. <laughs> yes, absolutely. We should live on the edge a little more, I think. I know. I know. That's what, that's what we keep saying. Maybe we need, to, we need to find a risk again. We need to take a risk again. <laughs> We're getting too comfortable. I love that attitude. Hey, one question I ask all of our guests, and I want to ask you this as well. Uh, what's something you would love to see God do before you die? I would like to see God heal Minneapolis. We are so passionate about that city. And even though we don't live there anymore, we see the effects of the violence and the addiction. We would, we would love to see God heal Minneapolis. And we, we have some friends. Um, I mentioned St. Paul's church a while ago that are still just passionate about inner city ministry there. Um, our friend Russ is doing some great things through St. Paul's church. Um, and I know that's his prayer as well, that God would heal Minneapolis in ways that we can't see yet, but it would be so miraculous. As a timely, humble, and selfless answer. And I think it's a great way to end this episode. So Anna, thank you for your time. It's been great thank catching you. this little bit of your story. Hopeful oh, to reach so out to more. you. I bet there is. <laughs> I'm glad God crossed our paths and uh, thanks for just taking time to help us understand more, especially about neighbors. Uh, there. Welcome. 
Yes. Appreciate it so Thank much. You. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Neighbors and Nations podcast. To learn more about how to support this podcast and our partners, go to toddstyles.net slash podcast. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe in your favorite podcasting app.